0: Welcome to the Strategic Investor. Join us as we interview some of the world's most productive asset managers and uncover sophisticated and unique investment strategies in the markets. Here is your host, Charlie Wright.
1: Hello and welcome to Strategic Investor Radio and OC Talk Radio, where we bring you investment strategies you are not hearing elsewhere. And we'd like to welcome everybody back today. We've been... uh, down since the great california lockdown about seven months ago and uh, we are back and i'm excited to be back and excited to have our guest before we start a few seconds we'd like to dedicate this program today to my father larry wright who was born 100 years ago today september 30 1920 and you know the old saying paul that uh, you can choose your friends, but you can't choose your relatives. Well, when it came to uh, having relatives, uh, especially parents, I hit the jackpot. I hit the lottery. So my brothers and I are indeed most fortunate and want Dad to know whether he's out saving universes. He's been gone for many years. Whether he's saving universes or listening to our show, or whatever he's doing, I want him to know we're thinking about him. So we'd like to welcome our guest today. This is either our third or fourth time we've had Dr. Bob Dealey, chief economist and pub the No Spin Forecast, an economic forecasting newsletter. He speaks to us from the Chicago area. Dr. Bob, welcome back to Strategic Investor Radio.
0: Hi, Charlie. It's a pleasure to be here, and I didn't realize that I was going to be batting leadoff, so I hope... uh... (laughs) I hope other people are going to want to come on the show after this.
1: Oh, they are, Bob. After uh, last night's performance uh, uh, by the uh, uh, Trump Biden debate, I think anybody will listen to anything and like it. You know.
0: So, <laughs> well, um, I don't. To Bob, I'm not planning on p- calling anyone a clown. So I don't. Yeah. know if We need to <laughs> stop the tape right now.
1: So you've got a PhD in economics from University of Texas. So you're a longtime Longhorn. Uh, and uh, you spent decades as an economist, uh, often a chief economist for various banks and, and the like. And uh, you now have been retired for a few years and you publish the no-spin forecast. And for complete disclosure here, I have been a client of uh, your research for uh, several years, and absolutely no complaints. And uh, you even answer my questions. And earlier this week, we had about a 90-minute discussion on what's going on, parts of which we'll talk about again today. So uh, we really uh, look forward to this. And again, this is our first podcast we have had since the COVID-19 lockdown here. So let's start, Bob, with this question. What do you see and understand in the economy that you wish more people saw and understood?
0: We are having a recession, and in that regard, it's comparable to other events. But the differences between what is happening now and what has happened previously are enormous. And understanding what those differences are and how they are going to play out is key to trying to understand uh, what has happened and what will happen the principal difference between this recession and others is that this one started in the service sector having gone on a lockdown because of the pandemic we affected parts of the economy that we usually never even glanced at during a regular recession uh... in a regular recession it would be goods producing manufacturing construction and those types of activity that would are usually the on the front end of the downturn This time it was doctor's offices, restaurants, and other types of services which normally are not affected in the, in the early parts of a recession if they're affected at all. And so as a consequence, what we have going on now are two separate events. The first is the direct effect of the pandemic as it relates to, again, doctor's offices, restaurants, and, and pretty much every other form of economic activity from which we have begun a very significant rebound. The employment reports for the last several months have all showed strong gains. The one that's coming out on Friday will probably show another strong gain. And all of this is related to unlocking the economy after the lockdown. But what is also going on are elements of an economic slowdown that had been uh developing over the course of 2019 and the effects of the pandemic on activity going forward. This morning, I read an article about a restaurant in New York that is hanging on by a thread but doesn't expect to survive if further uh, restrictions on how they can open remain in place. If that restaurant closes, the food supply chain is going to be down a customer, a landlord is going to be down some rent, and it's very likely that a mortgage is going to go on the watch list at some bank. And so over the next several months, what we are going to be looking at are what I call the second and third order effects of the pandemic as they relate to the prospects for recovery. So I've kind of a long answer, but it's kind of a difficult question.
1: Okay, I, I appreciate that, and we'll, we'll be probing that a little more. So the, the, let me um, ask a more specific question here on, on uh, that subject. I am looking right now at uh, an article that I cut out from uh, Saturday's Barron's Magazine. And uh, the, the, the title is, What's Next? More gains for stocks or otherwise? Okay, and it shows six basically strategists from the major banks in the country, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley, uh, BlackRock, Nuveen, Bank of America, and then one consulting economist here, Ed Denny. So they asked them, what do you think the GDP, the gross do- the domestic product, is going to be for the rest of 2020? And again, this is from this last weekend. And what do you think the GDP is going to be for 2021, now for 2020, the uh, average that they, they were within a very small range. They they're they're estimating uh, a decline for 2020 of uh, just over five percent, negative five percent. For 2021, they are estimating an increase or growth of just over over 4%. So we've got, for next year, growth of over 4%, but for this year, a decline of just over 5%. How would you agree, or what are your comments on that?
0: Well, first, to explain the forecast, what you are describing is what I would characterize as a V-shaped recovery we will, the the number that they have net for the year is approximately equal to what we were down in the first quarter. So what they're saying is that we had this huge drop in the second, we will have a huge increase in the third, and then we will pretty much do something positive in the fourth, and it'll net out to minus 5%. The 4% for next year would be pretty much the standard Progression off of where you would think the economy would be in the fourth quarter of this year, having rebounded from the pandemic. Uh, all of those forecasts are what I would expect to see from equity strategists, uh, who are by nature bullish, and who have a mandate from their management to be bullish. This is not a. Oh, sin.
1: Bob, you're you, you, you're so cynical.
0: I'm not being cynical. I'm telling you my own experience. When I was at the Northern Trust, we were forbidden as a matter of policy from forecasting a recession. And you will never find in the Northern Trust publications the forecast of a recession. You will find us talking about the economy slowing down, about certain things being at risk, but we never, in our official documents, called a recession. And the reason for that was that if we called a recession and it happened, there would be one set of lawsuits and if we called a recession and it didn't happen, there would be a different set of lawsuits. So we'd never called a recession. So if you are telling me that you read it in Barrens from people who are equity strategists, um, most of whom are unlikely to have generated the forecasts themselves, I used to give our equity strategist at the Northern a a set of forecasts that he used uh when talking to clients. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised that you told me, you know, what you saw. So this gets back to the question, if you're going to look at a forecast, who made it and why? Uh, most of the forecasts that you see published are, in, are lead-ins to whatever strategic uh, conversation the particular person wants to have. And again, there is no sin in this. This is uh, normal, and it's something that you should expect. I don't sell equity recommendations. The only thing I sell is a newsletter uh, that tries to identify business cycle turning points. My market or my range of clients goes across the entire economy, from people who make trucks to people who service trucks to people who grow and sell food to banks to money managers uh, to individual investors. For each of them, the arrival of a business cycle peak Uh, can mean something very different. It can be a a reason for them to become more aggressive with their investments, less aggressive, and it depends on, on what they own and why. So what I tell people when I'm talking about my work and then others, that you have to view forecasts as a tool the same way as you look at the tools uh... in your toolbox when you set about making a repair if you need a screwdriver you use a screwdriver if you need a hammer you use use a hammer they are sometimes can be substituted one for the other but usually not and so your best choice is to get the right tool for the job that you're uh, out to do so if you're trading equities Economics has a a different role than if you're uh, building Class 8 trucks, which is the front end of a semi for those of you who don't speak truck.
1: Well, Bob, let's pursue this uh, a little bit more. There are two areas that uh, uh, you're welcome to talk to us about. One is that uh, one of your charts in your current newsletter, and by the way, over 30 charts here in the newsletter, and the few that I really understand, I love. And one of those charts shows three types of unemployment, temporary unemployment, normal unemployment, and and I think permanent unemployment. And it shows a tremendous amount of temporary unemployment. But the big question is, as you mentioned earlier, where are those temporary unemployed people going to go? Are they going to go to permanent unemployment or are they going to go back to temporary employment? or or whatever start with that do you have a feel for that are there indications in the economy that say you know what, what is more likely to happen to those temporarily unemployed people than otherwise
0: well i can give you four specific examples without naming names but one person all four people became temporarily unemployed in march and april when the pandemic was beginning One of those persons went from being temporarily unemployed to being employed for three months and then went to permanent unemployment because the project she was working on, she was brought back to complete. And when it was done, they said they wouldn't need her services for some time, but they weren't going to lose her phone number. Second person went from temporary unemployment to permanent unemployment in one move. The company that he was working for uh, decided that they were not going to be able to reopen uh, in the immediate future. They again told him the same thing. If we reopen, we will be in touch. But as of right now, we are. You went from temporary to permanent. The other two have gone from one went from temporary unemployment back to permanent employment because the firm that she is working for had gone back to essentially some form of remote working, and she's back full-time. The other person went from, permanent, from temporary unemployment to part-time, and he is going back as conditions will allow. So the answer, and I think these are representative of what has been going on in the economy as a whole, uh, some people have gone back to their full-time job. They may not be doing it in the same office they were in 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 March. I'm, I'm talking to you, Charlie, because you're back right. at work and you are just told me that you're doing it remotely. Okay. Right. And oh, by the way, a small correction. I am not retired. My full-time job is working on my website and newsletter, uh, okay. but I digress. Okay. It's my, that's okay. part of uh, the way that these things work. But going back to uh, the question of what is happening to the temporarily unemployed, some of them are going back to work full-time, some of them are going back to work part-time, some of them are not going back to work. On Friday, we will get another very important piece of information as the DLS updates <clears throat> all of those series. The question will be when and if the temporary employment, the temporary unemployment component, goes back to the levels that it had previously, as as a share of total unemployment. Uh, this is getting a little technical and hard to do without a chart. But to tell folks, there there is always the reason why the unemployment rate is not zero, is because there are always people entering and leaving the workforce who have different employment status. And temporary unemployment is something that is always there. We never used to pay much attention to it because it was one of those components of unemployment that, yeah, it was sort of like the number of people who quit every month. If you look at the employment report, it will tell you that certain people are unemployed because they have quit their job. We usually don't pay a lot of attention to this. We really didn't pay much attention to the temporarily unemployed because there's always this amount of friction. Uh, in the economy. But then in April and May, especially in April, that number soared to levels that we had never seen before. It is receding for the reasons that we've just been talking about.
1: So, Bob, uh, briefly, are there indications of what? Well, I understand what what you've just said and that really we don't know right now because of COVID and, and lockdowns and the like that these temporarily unemployed people are going to go back to work or not and, and what their status will be. But are there under the radar signs uh, one way or the, or, or the other that, that would be important for us to know about, such as, you know, transportation, either via rail or trucking, that it's down, that it's up, it's encouraging, it's discouraging, or, or uh, you know, any other things. And, and just briefly tell us under the radar, rest of us don't see those things. Are there important things that that, that, that are, are talking to us the rest of us don't know? About?
0: Well, the, the easier way to answer that question is to bring up the concept of the supply chain that we all take for granted when you talk about under the radar. It's virtually invisible, but yet it's there all the time for everything we do. When you go to the supermarket, the reason why there are things to buy, or in some cases not things to buy, is how those goods move physically uh, through the, what we call the supply chain. The short explanation right now is that the supply chain is uh, not in good shape. Uh, the lockdown caused uh, disruptions in how goods, the goods that were already in the system were able to move. And those backlogs are still being worked on. You further then had disruptions as to what was produced or not produced. But to give you a short answer, the biggest risk to sustained recovery is getting the supply chain back into smooth operation. This is going to take a while, and a lot of effort is being devoted to it. But I came across something uh, just yesterday when I was uh, reading some things in a transportation magazine, one of the problems is a shortage of truck drivers. Uh, and this in part has to do with the fact that all of the places where p- people can learn and qualify for a commercial driver's license were closed during the pandemic. And so firms that want to hire truck drivers are currently waiting for the people who were supposed to be getting certified uh both in school and then eventually at the uh, DMVs in various parts of the country, uh, to get the license that they need to be able to operate the truck. So, again, there's all sorts of uh, wrinkles in the system that are going to complicate matters. And then the last one that you've probably read about, uh, United Airlines is talking about letting about 18,000 people go and significantly reducing their route map. Uh, When they do that, this is going to affect how uh, goods move in in that channel. Uh, We know the railroads are making progress in getting their backlog uh, under control, but again, you have things literally stacked up in rail yards around the country waiting for trucks to come and uh, move them and uh, waiting for the trains that are necessary to uh, again, move a container across the country so that you can, you know, buy what you want to buy at the supermarket. But to me, that is the biggest risk. Um, it's it's a physical issue relating to the supply chain.
1: Hey, thank you very much. That's that's some excuse me, some uh, very good insights there, Bob, Bob. We've got two more subjects we want to cover. Uh, not much time on each, so let's let's cover them as as rapidly as we can. Okay. So again, uh, less than five weeks away from a major election, election results. Do you see potential major disruptions in the economy and possibly stock market, etc.? Or do you see things being fairly smooth? We're not talking about a contested election here. We're just talking about the results of the election. What do you see in terms of impact on the economy?
0: The answer is in two parts, and I will try to be brief on both. The pure politics of it, as to what happens and who says what, I have absolutely no idea. I work from the uh, assumption that, that that you just mentioned that we are going to have something that might be noisy, but ultimately will be settled along the the terms that we're used to seeing. The other aspect, which is, I think, the question that you're driving at, is if, regardless of the outcome what might be the actual legislative effect or, or implementation. And, and for that, I usually tell folks that it takes quite a bit longer than they think because of the legislative process. The new administration, even if it's a continuation of the Trump administration, is going to go through a reorganization that's going to occupy them into the early part of next year. Then there will be the legislative process and enacting things and so forth. So the idea that something happening in this November is going to affect pretty much anything in a material legislative sense much before the second or third quarter of next year is unrealistic it just doesn't happen that way so yes we could very likely see a change in direction either because uh, the incumbent wins or we get a new administration But those changes are are likely to be something that we'll be talking about this time next year uh, as compared to any time sooner.
1: Hey, I appreciate that because, uh, you know, we we get all kinds of things thrown at us on that subject. And the the next subject is we're not trying to be political here. We do not want you to be political, but you're an economist. We really appreciate your input. And there's a subject that receives a lot of... uh, differentiating comment and opinion and that is the china policy uh imports exports tariffs etc from an economic standpoint a an unbiased opinion here how do you see the impact of the china policy so far and going forward
0: well the china policy was one of the reasons why we had seen economic activity slow in the aggregate over the course of twenty eighteen and twenty nineteen uh... it began when they with the ripple effects that went through the agricultural system and then to other aspects where we had tariffs and counter tariffs as a matter of economics there's only a very small economic school and it's usually not does not get a whole lot of phone calls uh, that believe that mercantilism is a good idea Adam Smith, a guy that you might have heard of, wrote yeah. some books, and pretty much everybody else who follows him has said that mercantilism is not the way to go. So well, well, a well, 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 policy well, we'll I don't well, care whether PhD. it's against China or anybody else that is based on antiquated ideas is not good, and it didn't do us any good. It is one of the problems that still remains. Eventually, it's, because it has a political dimension, it will be addressed again. Neither side is happy with the outcome, and we will all be better off when we decide that, yes, we have issues that we need to resolve in terms of bilateral trade, but tariffs is absolutely the wrong way to do it.
1: Well, we appreciate your honesty here and uh, your forthrightness, and uh, I'm sure uh, we have listeners who will not like that answer, and we have other listeners who will be forwarding this podcast to people they know because they like the answer. But we, we, we appreciate your honesty here. What do you see, to, to wrap this up, Bob, what do you see going forward that would be important for us um, as people in the world of finance, uh, in the world of investments, uh, et cetera, and, and as investors, etc.? What should we be looking at and looking for?
0: Well, I will confess to being an optimist, in the sense that we have, as a people, whether we're the Americans or you want to talk about, you know, just people in general, have confronted various forms of adversity over literally thousands of years. And in every case, if you go back and read about them, there was someone who said, this is it, this is the end, we're all going to die, make your peace with whatever you... Uh, believed to be your creator uh, because it's going to be over a week from Friday and yet here we are. So I think that the best approach is to say what opportunities does this situation present? Assets are going to be repriced. Certain things today uh, are, are not going to be as valuable and perhaps this might be the easiest way to conclude it because this goes back to something that I learned way back in graduate school. Uh we had a seminar, this was 1975, right after the first energy shock, and we had a seminar in which graduate students from economics were going to have dinner with graduate students from the petroleum engineering department because it was thought that this would be a, you know, useful enterprise. Anyway, at the end of dinner, a guy from the economics department got up and made a speech about what he thought was going to happen to the energy market. And then the chairman of the P.E. department got up and made the following speech, which I can still remember. He said, I've been in the all business for a long time. And he said, I know that if you had made an estimate of the supply and the demand for energy based on what we knew in 1910, today we'd be up to our eyes in horseshit and there would be no trees. (laughs) Okay. Now, I don't know whether we're going to have to edit out the last part, and I'll leave that to your editor as to whether or not that's appropriate, but I think this is cable TV, and we're allowed a little bit of profanity. But to me, that's the important part. In 1910, we didn't know about cars. We didn't know about oil refining. We didn't know about any of the things that we now take for granted. And so the idea that you know we are going to be constrained in our ability to solve these problems by what we know today is not a good way to approach it because what we know today and what the pandemic has done and what it is causing in terms of the way of people are thinking about how they do business is going to bring about changes which is going to have something to do with the way the problem is resolved. Uh, I'm not saying I know when this is going to happen and I would hardly be able to forecast the pace at which it will happen, but I would tell people that the outcome, the likelihood of a positive outcome in the sense that a year from now, we're all still here and can talk about this is far greater than some other outcome. And so I don't know if that's enough of a response, uh, but that's where I see it right now.
1: Bob, we appreciate your optimism here. And um, I I don't know that uh, I share it to that degree, but I love your example. And uh, we do need to keep those, those uh, important things in mind. And part of the, the pillar, uh, well, one of the pillars of our success is the, is the fact that we deal with change. And uh, we look at opportunities instead of, uh, you know, uh, going into a fetal position into a cave somewhere. So, Bob, to, to close here, tell us uh, briefly about uh, no-spin forecast. And for those who would like to know more, how they can find out.
0: Well, uh, NoSpin Forecast is, uh, there's a website of the same name, NoSpinForecast.com, uh, and uh, on it uh, you will find information about the service that I have, which is uh, basically a set of economic reports that are designed to identify business cycle turning points, when we're going to have recessions, and if we have a recession, when we're going to have a recovery the system that I used has successfully forecast all of the cycle peaks since 1967 Uh, and the method that I use is completely revealed in the reports there's no black box there's no gigantic econometric model there's some economic uh, elements that I've used that have so far given us uh, very good and consistent results Uh, I think it is very reasonably priced If anyone has any questions, if they look at my website, there's a contact page there, and I'll be glad uh, to fill them in with any other background they might need. And before we go, I also want to thank you uh, for the opportunity to talk to your listeners. Um, I always look forward to our conversations, and uh, I especially value you uh, as a client. So with that, I'll let you uh, wrap it up. Thank you very very much for the time.
1: Bob, thank you, and I'd just like to add one comment here that I can confirm and verify uh, having uh, engaged you for the past few years that uh, you said uh, last year. Okay. Not all that late in last year that you foresaw a downturn in the economy. I don't recall if it was a recession or not, but at least a downturn in the economy early in 2020. And so when you say that the pandemic really was not the initial cause of our current recession you've been calling that for some time so uh, congratulations and I think this is one of the first times that uh, an an economist has actually been all that accurate right
0: well there are several of us who've had more than one lucky guess but we never call them lucky guesses by the way and I can't tell you what we call them or I'd have to shoot you and then you wouldn't have me back (laughs) on the show so we all go
1: okay so Bob continue to enjoy the great weather in Chicago here Keep smiling, and uh, we look forward to future conversations and certainly uh, more insights uh, from No Spin Forecast. So appreciate you being with us here.
0: So again, we've been
1: talking with Dr. Bob Dealey, chief economist and publisher of the No Spin Forecast, an economic forecasting newsletter from Chicago. And as we heard today, he is definitely not retired. You've been listening to Strategic Investor Radio and OC Talk Radio. We'd love to hear from you. Contact us at strategicinvestorradio.com or visit our website to listen to all of our podcasts, interviews, and shows, strategicinvestorradio.com. I'm Charlie Wright, wishing you an enjoyable week and productive